This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everyone. I'm Father Gravy, and this is the Breakfast Podcast. In this episode, we're going to light up the grill and talk about death. Grilling is one of the great summertime traditions, and it always marks the big holidays. Memorial Day and Labor Day, the 4th of July. Some Catholics, though, would include August 10th on that list. That's the feast day of St. Lawrence. Lawrence was a deacon in Rome, an assistant to the Pope, and he was martyred in the year 258 during one of the great persecutions of the early church. The emperor had already killed the Pope a few days earlier, and now set his sights on the treasures of the church. Lawrence worked quickly to distribute the various gold and silver vessels to the neediest in Rome and gathered all the poor together. When the emperor came to collect his bounty, Lawrence brought him to this group and said, here are the real treasures of the church. Well, the emperor was not amused and Lawrence was swiftly sentenced to death. His martyrdom was pretty unusual though. He was roasted alive on a gridiron. There's a famous story attached to this During the course of his martyrdom, Lawrence said to his executioners, you can turn me over now. I'm well done on this side. He's actually the patron saint of cooks. And one way to mark his feast day is to fire up the grill and celebrate Lawrence's heroism, his witness to Christ, his laughter in the face of death, his birth into eternal life. Lawrence isn't the only saint to have food associated with his feast day. Certain towns have the custom of making pastries in the shape of various body parts that saints lost in the course of their martyrdom. My birthday, August 24th, though, probably takes the cake, no pun intended. It's the feast of St. Bartholomew, one of the Twelve Apostles. I remember someone once suggesting that we should eat figs and prosciutto on his feast day. Figs because he was sitting under a fig tree when he met Jesus and prosciutto because, according to tradition, Bartholomew was skinned alive, and, well, prosciutto sort of looks like raw flesh. Now, you might find all this a bit much, perhaps distasteful or macabre. Perhaps it even seems disrespectful to the memory of these holy men and women and the sufferings they endured. I would propose, however, that it comes from a place of familiarity and love. It's like members of a family who can speak comfortably about something difficult that they overcame together, to laugh with and comfort one another. And while it might sound strange to crack a joke about your own death, or eat food associated with it, I think it's a deeply Catholic thing to do. We laugh in the face of death because we know it doesn't have the last word. We know that death is when real life, eternal life, begins. And so we celebrate these martyrs because they are the heroes, the winners. The grill or the knife or the sword, those are the instruments of their victory. This familiarity with death forms something of a leitmotif with the saints. They weren't just comfortable with it, 
they eagerly desired it. And who can blame them? If we believe that heaven is not just real, but what we're made for, then who wouldn't want to be there? Preferring this life to the next would be like kids on their way to Disney World wanting to linger at a rest stop. So St. Francis referred to Sister Death, who will lead him into eternal life. I love the story of St. Agnes, one of the most important martyrs of the early church. She had dedicated herself to Jesus Christ, calling him her spouse. A high-ranking pagan official had proposed marriage to her, and when Agnes refused, he denounced her as a Christian. The account of her martyrdom is really moving. A large crowd of bloodthirsty Romans gathered in the Circus of Diocletian in the middle of the city, but they were shocked and shaken by what they witnessed. They described Agnes going to the stake to be burned with her face as radiant as that of a bride on her wedding night. An ancient hymn for the Feast of St. Agnes contains the verse, Now ready for a martyr's tomb, she was not ready to be wed. One thought she went to meet her groom, such joy appeared as she was led. Here's the thing, Agnes was only 12 or 13 years old. Today, that circus is a famous piazza, Piazza Navona, and it's dominated by the massive church of St. Agnes. Inside, there's a shrine that preserves Agnes's skull. It's amazing to see how small it is. Those Romans who came to watch Bloodsport got more than they bargained for. They walked away dazed and confused. What is this faith that can give a young girl so much courage in the face of death? That same courage and faith has inspired martyrs down through the centuries, many of them young children like Agnes. They knew that death was not the end of life, but the beginning of real life. And that knowledge led to a comfort with death, not just for the saints, but for the everyday Catholic down through the centuries. It was just part of the air they breathed. Catholics were encouraged regularly to meditate on their death, not in a morbid way, but in a realistic way. After all, it's about the only certainty in life. Catholic teaching talks about what we call the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Every person who has ever lived will die, will be judged, and will be either in heaven or hell for eternity. Not to think about that, not to prepare for it, would be careless in the extreme. It would be like someone on the first day of retirement realizing he has never saved any money or set up an IRA or paid into Social Security. We would consider that person extremely foolish. That focus on death has always been part of a healthy Catholic culture. One of the most common prayers we recite, the Hail Mary, concludes with the line, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. We ask the Blessed Mother thousands and thousands of times for her prayers at the moment of our death. Why? Because that's what it all comes down to. The greatest saint can despair in the last moment and lose heaven. The greatest sinner can repent in the last moment and win heaven. I remember as a little boy, my parents would recite with me a classic bedtime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That prayer made a deep impression on me. That I could die before I wake, 
It's not morbid. It's true. One of the most common sayings of Jesus in the Gospels is that you know neither the day nor the hour, that death comes like a thief in the night. My most traumatic encounter with this was probably 9-11. It was my senior year at New York University, just a mile and a half north of the World Trade Center. I heard the planes and watched the towers burn. But what really stayed with me were the weeks and months after that in Manhattan. Everywhere you went, there were missing person flyers, pictures and names of the victims. It was heartbreaking and haunting, all those smiling faces. I'm sure none of those people went to work that beautiful Tuesday morning thinking, this is the last day of my life. In just a few hours, I'll be dead. Who could possibly have seen that coming? Were they prepared? Are we? We've all seen the studies showing that more and more people are abandoning their Catholic faith. There are a ton of reasons why, and we can't get into all of them or any of them here and now. But one of the most striking consequences of this trend is people's attitude towards death. A report some years back made the observation that, at least in the developed world, this is the first era in human history where people do not have a regular, personal experience with death. For most of history, death was an everyday thing. Whether it meant killing an animal for dinner, like that bleeding goat a few episodes back, or watching an aged grandparent die at home. But death and dying is quite unfamiliar to most people now. We buy our meat in neatly shrink-wrapped trays, our grandparents die in a nursing home or hospital, and appear in the funeral parlor looking like they're taking a nap in nice clothes. Some of this is due to advances in technology and medicine, and that's all for the good. But there's a marked discomfort with mortality. T.S. Eliot once wrote, Humankind cannot bear very much reality. That's certainly true about the reality of death. We see it in language. I find it fascinating that people are increasingly reluctant to say that someone has died. They use the euphemism, he passed, as if died is a dirty word or somehow rude. As a priest, I see that families often approach the funeral mass not primarily as a time to pray for the deceased, but to comfort the living. The result is less sobriety and more sentimentalism. People are less inclined to pray for the dead because they assume they're in heaven or have very wrong notions that they become angels or something. That lack of awareness and understanding strikes a double blow. In the first place, it leaves the souls in purgatory bereft of prayers. Those souls have a deep joy because they know they will be in heaven. But they're still getting ready, healing the wounds that sin has left. I like to think of it as stepping into brilliant sunshine after being in the dark for a long time. Our eyes take time to adjust, and it can be painful. But the light is good and healing. Those souls are called poor souls because they can't pray for themselves anymore. They rely on our prayers to help them. And sadly, that's been neglected by a lot of people who don't think about or believe in purgatory. But it also shortchanges us. When we pray for the dead, we can't help but think about our own death. It's a reminder to us to be prepared for whenever our time comes, to heal the sins of the past and avoid the ones in the future. And when that time does come, we will rely on the prayers of others too.
Whether the church has followed the culture on this or vice versa is one of those chicken or the egg questions. It was common for much of history to see in churches a scene of the final judgment. It features Christ coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. As always, a picture speaks a thousand words. It shows angels bringing the just into heaven where there's light and joy, and it shows demons dragging the damned into hell where their eternal torment is just beginning. These scenes were often painted on the western wall of a church, the wall opposite the altar. It would be the last thing people saw as they left, and the message was clear. Everything you just did here was to prepare yourself for this moment. I'm always a little confused, though, when people say that such depictions were frightening and needed to be done away with. There was an anti-drug commercial when I was a kid, a public service announcement. If you're of a certain age, you probably remember it. It was pretty famous. A guy holds up an egg and says, this is your brain. Then he shows a frying pan and says, this is drugs. He cracks the egg into the pan and, as it sizzles away, says, this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? The fact that I remember it decades later speaks to its effectiveness. The funny thing is, when that commercial aired during Saturday morning cartoons, parents didn't call up the networks and tell them, stop it, you're scaring my children. Why? Because they knew that the threat of drugs was real. And they wanted those powerful images to keep their kids from that fate. Fast forward a decade or so, right before my senior prom. My high school brought the whole class out to the football field and staged this elaborate reenactment of a drunk driving accident, complete with a mangled up car, ambulances, people with fake blood all over them. Again, this wasn't to scare a bunch of teenagers just for kicks. It was a healthy fear because drunk driving is really dangerous, and they wanted to drive home that point. Perhaps part of the reason those final judgment scenes fell out of favor was that people no longer thought hell was real. Or if it is real, it's probably empty. Or if it's not empty, there's certainly no chance that I'm going there. We play a little game with ourselves. Sure, we say, serial killers and genocidal warlords are in hell, but I'm not that wicked. We're not so quick to go the other way. Sure, Mother Teresa's in heaven, but I'm not that holy. Both of those miss the mark. I cannot be a serial killer and still end up in hell if there's some serious sin for which I'm not sorry. I cannot be Mother Teresa and still end up in heaven if I repent of my sins and follow Jesus. We neither presume nor despair of our salvation. Rather, we trust. We trust that God is faithful to his promise, that he has gone to prepare a place for us. If we remain faithful, we will claim that inheritance. We also know that we're weak and fallen, and that without God's grace, we can do nothing. That balance allows Catholics to have such a healthy approach to death. We know what's waiting. There's no mystery. We know what the alternatives are, and we choose accordingly. We choose Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. His death destroyed the power of death forever and flung open the gates of heaven. That's why the saints are full of joy, with a twinkle in their eye. They had the same struggles and flaws and temptations that you and I have. 
but with God's grace they persevered, because they knew how the story ends, that the tomb is empty, and that heaven was waiting for them. It's waiting for us, too. Now we just have to get there, pressing ahead with faith and hope and love, through this life on earth, until we, too, are done at last and ready to turn over to the other side. (laughs) 